0: Continuing uh, through the book of Acts, we find the church in Jerusalem has been growing. Earlier in chapter 4, the author Luke advises there are 5,000 men counted in their number and this is within only a two-year period since Christ's ascension. And so the Holy Spirit is moving and growing his church. As Dad mentioned last week, in such a fledgling uh, or starting movement, God is quick to keep his church pure. He doesn't want his church affected by hypocrisy. So we've got to be real. We've got to be honest with where we're at. Following the death of Ananias and Sapphira, the apostles find themselves in Solomon's Portico, which is just part of the, uh, the temple, where God confirms the authenticity of the movement through the apostles' signs and wonders. And many people are healed in Jesus' name. And so we come to this week's passage in... Uh, Chapter 5, verses 17 through to 42. If you got your Bibles with you, that would be great to uh, open them up. So from verse 17. But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in public prison. Healing so many people in public would have caused quite a scene. Being the religious elite, it's possible the high priests and the Sadducees were jealous of losing the spotlight, but that's too simple of a reading. As such, who were the Sadducees? We know that they were uh, just one of the uh, many different sects sects within the Jewish leaders. So we know the Pharisees, they're often mentioned in the Bible. Uh, Their rabbinic practice is not too dissimilar to uh, our practice of discipleship today, and um, Their practice of rabbinicism, I suppose, continued into Judaism after the fall of Jerusalem um, and the temple in AD 70. There's also the Essene community at Qumran and that's where the Dead Sea Scrolls were located. Zealots, often mentioned in the Bible, were extremists. They militantly opposed the Roman occupation. And so the Sadducees themselves, though, we know that they were upper-class citizens But you might be interested to know they only accepted the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, as authoritative. And so we can see there's a bit of a plurality within the uh, beliefs of Israel at the time. And despite that diversity, the Sadducees held power in the Jewish council, which we call the Sanhedrin. So earlier in chapter 4, Peter and John are arrested for proclaiming Jesus... So they are arrested for proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And so for the Sadducees, there was no resurrection. It wasn't possible. Heaven and hell did not exist. And so once you die, that's it. Game over. Which makes this life all the more important. So they sought power, comfort, and control, when we forget about the life to come, we too can do this. This is the, text, the text's attack against the Sadducees. The apostles were healing in Jesus' name. You can't heal in someone 's name if they're dead. despite what people may believe, despite what public opinion is, Jesus is alive, and we need to act as though that name as though his life, his death and resurrection, mean something to us. And so the apostles angered the political power. The entire party of the Sadducees were pitted against them. Imagine facing off the government of today. Seems insurmountable. Outraged, the Sadducees arrest the apostles and place them in prison. From verse 19... But during the night, an angel of God opened the jailhouse door and led them out. The Sadducees also didn't believe in angels. It seems that the author is taking every opportunity to undermine their authority. And despite their wishes, the angel releases the apostles that same night. It was a quick release. So God's providence is clearly on display. This isn't the first time the apostles have been imprisoned in, this, um, in the book of Acts, but God opens the prison door. In his book, Providence, John Piper writes that the ultimate purpose of God's providence over the natural world, and by natural world, when we talk about when God parts the Red Sea, when he sends a plague of locusts, or Jesus calms the sea. So when we see that providence over the natural world is that the glory of God which we see and hear and taste and feel and smell in it, might be joyfully, thankfully, admiringly experienced as part of the inheritance purchased for us by the blood of Jesus. When God provides for us, when he opens a prison door, there's always a purpose in mind. And the angel announces that purpose. He said, go to the temple, take your stand. Tell the people everything there is to say about this life. Promptly obedient, they entered the temple at daybreak and went on with their teaching. You could certainly forgive the apostles if they desired to take a break. They had just been in prison after all. Rest and hide until the anger that was against them lessened. Angels had previously done that. They advised Joseph in a dream to rise, take the child, being Jesus, and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there because of Herod's desire to kill the child but no this time the apostles are to continue teaching they have to tell people everything there is to say about this life hold on a second shouldn't the angel advise them to talk about Jesus about the gospel absolutely and that's actually what he does by speaking about this life, the apostles are re- referring to Jesus. He is the way. He is the truth and the life. But It also refers to the eternal life that Jesus' resurrection ensures for believers. The ESV translates advi- translation advises they were to speak to the people all the words of this life. They weren't to hold back. They were to tell everything they knew about Jesus, about his life, about his ministry. No aspect was to be left out in fear of further persecution and their obedience is telling, they're in the temple at dawn. Meanwhile, when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council and all the senate of the people of Israel and sent to the prison to have them, being the apostles, brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison. So they returned and reported, We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. That's fair enough you have no understanding or belief of the miraculous in angels it'd be highly confusing and in this space of confusion that's where the council were trying to determine what happened so verse 25 someone came and told them look the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people no doubt further increasing their confusion and then the captain of the officers went and brought them not by force for they were afraid of being stoned by the people they were afraid of being stoned that's pretty telling of the uh, political situation got to hold on to the power by any means necessary but it's such a fickle thing to grasp where's the humility in complete contrast the apostles agree to go with them they're happy to go where the spirit leads. They're not clinging to their authority and power. There is humility in their character as opposed to pride. In verse 27, and when they had brought them, they set them before the council and the high priest questioned them saying, we strictly charge you not to teach in his name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Sanhedrin, the Jewish leaders, were not only opposed to Jesus' name being preached, they were fearful of it. And the apostles continued to preach and teach in Jesus' name. And they did so with boldness. There was no fear of persecution. With the Spirit in their midst and working, all of Jerusalem was filled with the teaching. Nearly all of Jerusalem had heard about Jesus and his resurrection. And that deeply worried the council of leaders. See, these leaders brokered a deal with the Romans who took control of the land. In exchange for keeping the peace, they were allowed to practice the Jewish faith, upholding the facade that they were in control. But were they really? Hence why Jesus overthrew the tables. Sorry, I'll start that again. So they kept up the facade that they were in control, but they were also able to monetize the temple and grow their capital. Hence why Jesus um, overthrew the tables in the Gospels. Jewish leadership and worship had become self-centred rather than God-oriented. So by preaching in Jesus' name and extending his fame throughout all of Jerusalem, the status quo was being threatened and the Sadducean grasp of the political power could slip. And people tend to get defensive and angry When something they hold dear is threatened. How dare the apostles charge them. With the blood of Jesus. Who would want that on their hands? So in response to the high priest's questioning. Peter on behalf of the apostles answered. We must obey God. Rather than men. Even the Sadducees won't dispute this. The scripture they hold or held most dearly, was the Shema, found in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might, and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. (coughs) So Peter, enlightened by the Holy Spirit, starts his response with a solid foundation. We must obey God rather than men. And that's got to be our foundation too. As followers of Christ, we must obey him and listen to his voice as opposed to those that seek to tear us down. From there, Peter continues, The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. They're not beaten around the bush, are they? There's no holding back. You killed him. So yes, the apostles were putting Jesus' blood on their hands. But through raising him back to life, God negated those criminal actions. So the God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and saviour to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Here's the gospel message in a nutshell. God the Son took on human flesh. He was killed on a tree, yet was raised back to life. The purpose? To provide humanity, including those who killed him, with an opportunity to repent, turn to God and receive Forgiveness. You can't bestow forgiveness upon someone. They must receive or accept it. It is this double punch of repentance and forgiveness that restores relationship. And so the apostles and the Holy Spirit are witnesses to the way, the truth and the life. Jesus is alive and because he's alive, we can have life as you can imagine, the council were enraged to hear this. In fact, they wanted to kill him. Verse 34. But a Pharisee in the council, named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honour by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, Men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days... Theudas rose up claiming to be somebody and a number of men, about 400, joined them. He was killed and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. And after him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished and all who followed him were scattered. By the way, if you didn't know, Jesus was not the first person to claim the title of Messiah. There were numerous. Both Theodos and Judas, the Galilean, are examples of such. And some of these men could also perform miracles, as Jesus did. But in every case, as soon as the leader perished, their following dispersed. Death proved their leader's falsehood. And from here, Gamaliel provides some words of wisdom. Verse 38. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. Experience suggests this to be true. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. And when they called the apostles... They beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they, being the apostles, left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonour for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Peter and the apostles left rejoicing. A few weeks ago I talked about joy around the Lord's table. Calvin Miller describes joy in this way. Many Christians confuse happiness with joy, as did I. Happiness is about a buoyant emotion that results in the momentary plateaus of well-being that characterise our lives. Joy is bedrock stuff. On the other hand, joy is a confidence that operates irrespective of our moods. Joy is the certainty that all is well, however we feel. Joy is a disposition of contentedness. There is a peace in your inner being. You can gladly sing, all is well with my soul. There can certainly be an element of praise and happiness, But that's not the root of joy. Facing off against the political powers, being imprisoned on numerous occasions, being flogged for their association with Jesus, the apostles were having a rough trot. Yet they leave rejoicing because they were counted worthy to suffer dishonour for the name of Jesus. Their joy came from community. It was a communion with the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. God's very nature is community. But but the joy also comes from communion with one another. The apostles personally knew the way, the truth, and the life. And this communion with Jesus, where they abided together with Jesus, the vine. This was their source of joy that obedience, sorry, it was out of this sense of joy that obedience became easy. They happily filled the temple and their homes with the teaching and preaching of Jesus. And when joy in Jesus is present in our lives, it becomes so much easier to follow his way. So if you're going through a rough patch right now, perhaps even a crisis of faith, you're questioning everything you've ever been taught and I encourage you to continue down that road. Keep asking the questions and keep searching for answers. A few years ago when I hit one of my crises, I gave God an ultimatum. I said, God, if you're real, get me out of this mess. I was struggling heavily with depression. I'd just lost something pretty dear to me. And I was more than ready to give up. God answered, proving his faithfulness by surrounding me with a new community of believers. People who encouraged me, who built me up, and it was a slow process. I started to find joy again. I still have much to learn about personal joy in Jesus. But my experience and the scriptural witness suggests that if you want a deeper joy, a sense of deeper peace and contentedness, you'll find it. With other believers as you follow Jesus together. You don't learn to follow Jesus alone, you catch it from those around you. And this is the journey of discipleship and why it's so important to get alongside one another regularly, to be vulnerable and open about each other's flaws and failures, praying for each other and spurring each other on, listening. So the Holy Spirit teach you about yourself and how to guide and to guide you and form you into Christ's likeness. It's a gradual process, taking years. We'll still be going going until the day that we pass on to glory. So if you're seeking a deeper joy, the Spirit has laid it on your heart. Seek out specific people who can keep you accountable. These can be home groups. But It's worth considering finding yourself a spiritual mentor or close friends that you can take the relationship deeper. Someone who can speak into your life and point out where God has been active in your story. And the important thing here is to meet regularly. And if we're serious about growing our joy in Jesus, we'll do that. We'll meet regularly. So for those that are married, perhaps still with children at home, Remember to spend time together in God's word, encouraging one another. It is the community of believers the Spirit uses to form us in the Christ-likeness. And as we grow in contentedness, the troubles that face us won't worry us as much. It is well with my soul, come what may.